0: For someone who's not even seen themselves, how can we presume that we're going to see what our blind spots are, we're going to see what our shortcomings are, we're going to see where we're moving out of time with what we want to create. So it's very, very, very important to have those outside eyes in because that's the only thing that's going to make sure you've got all your bases covered.
1: Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure, the show for successful people and for those who want to become successful, the only show that reveals the true Nature of Success. This is your host, Jim Harshaw Jr., and today I bring you Daniel Mangina. Daniel is a successful entrepreneur. He's a best selling author. He's a podcast host of Do It with Dan. Uh, he's a life and business transformation coach, and he's an international public speaker. He's been featured on CNN, CBS, Fox, The Jack Canfield Show, Forbes, and entrepreneur magazines. This guy is the real deal. You know, There's a lot of people out there who preach success and abundance and mindset, and then there's people who actually live it. Daniel has lived it. He talks about his ups and downs, his successes, and his failures. This guy has climbed from the bottom to the top, and he's created his dream life, and he teaches us how to do that as well. You're going to love this episode with Daniel. All right, let's get into it. My interview with Daniel Mangino. You've faced a lot of adversity in your life, including a life-shattering trauma. You had a late diagnosis of Asperger's syndrome. Can you share a little bit about your backstory just so listeners can get a perspective of who you are and where you're coming from?
0: Yeah, sure sort of thing. So grew up, my parents emigrated from Zimbabwe and Southern Africa in the late 70s to the UK. I was born in East London in 1983. Basically, kind of ordinary family, you know, nothing particularly magnificent. But I really, really, really was determined that I was going to be on entrepreneurs. One thing, well, actually I wanted to be a mad scientist at first, and then <laughs> uh, was committed to being a business owner. It wasn't entrepreneur, then it was business owner that I had in my head. A fine line between those two things. Fine line between the two. <laughs> realize I'm more of an entrepreneur than a business owner, but that's another conversation. Between that, between being a business owner and a mad scientist too. <laughs> <laughs> Although to be a knowledgeable, you've got to be a bit of a bad scientist distance some, sometimes when you're dealing with things, but, but yeah, I got to have some great success, taught myself to make computers when I was 13, had a tuck shop, you know, built up and was able to make my first million when I was 19 and then had it smashed and snatched away. A few months later, actually, I didn't really get to enjoy it for all that long. How did you make your first million? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah. So I had basically, I built up a little bit of a conglomerate. I was importing and exporting. The, the key thing was it. I found... Out about something called trade finance, and the light bulb went off for me. So there are actual lenders that you can partner up with, where you put down a deposit and pay them a fee, and they'll issue a letter of credit for you on your behalf for you to buy goods, and then you can ship them. So as long as your profit margin is more than what you paid, you can actually pretty much double your money. It's really quite a fascinating world. And so I was buying like containers of orange juices, orange juice. We did like mobile phones once from Finland, and and ship those cacao beans, luxury clothes, anything that I could find a margin on, I was buying and selling. So we did that, did some real estate, some other bits and pieces in the UK. But unfortunately, what happened was, is that I'd got people to give me the money to get the letters of credit, which I didn't know at the time was actually illegal. You're not allowed to do that unless you've got a license, because that means that you're technically an investment company. So because of that, the government came and took everything away. So sorry, you're not allowed to have any of that because you didn't have a license to do what you're doing. And so that was that. So I went off and I dusted my shoulders off. I was just turned 20. I said, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to go off and do something else then. So I went off again, completely void of any doubt or lack of belief. Because the thing is, is that I've been reading books like Think and Grow Rich since I was 15 or 16 years old. I was reading books like Psycho, Cybernetics and all these books on mindset. And so I really had a very powerful mindset, but mindset alone isn't enough to get you over the finish line. You also need experience. You need guidance. You need mentorship. And the problem with being a young man who thinks he owns the world is that you don't think you need any of that (laughs) and that you've got it all worked out, which I found out much to my dismay a few years later, when the second time I built everything up, people came and stole everything. And that's when I realized, oh my God, maybe I don't know everything. And having spent the last several years arrogantly telling the world that I had it all figured out, watching everything taken the second time in quite a big, messy way, it was a lot for me. And the identity that i had built up around being the guy that knew everything wasn't even really being a success it was a guy that knew everything that very fragile identity based on other people's eyes looking in that fell apart and it really left me in a really dark place jim
1: and you mentioned that you contemplated suicide at one point
0: it wasn't even contemplation jim it was commitment to the goal of suicide at that point i literally looked around at the the pieces of this identity that I built based on this idea that I knew everything and watched that gone and literally thought I've got nothing left to to contribute. I didn't have any more value. It would actually be better for everyone if I wasn't here anymore. So the only reason why I didn't make an actual attempt was because I didn't want to fail at that on top of everything else. And my commitment actually became, okay, I need to work out why I'm such a failure so that when I make my suicide attempt, it doesn't fail and I'm successful. And that's actually the very twisted route that brought me to where I am today because I went off on that journey but ended up in a very different place at the end of it
1: how did you overcome that
0: how did you overcome that low point and get back to where you're right now there wasn't actually a point Jim where I'm like oh I'm, I'm not gonna do this anymore I remember it was 2015 I just got back from a trip me and my cousin had gone out to Thailand it was my first trip like lad's trip that I'd gone on and we made loads of friends, you know, we'd hang out with girls and we are drinking and enjoying the sunshine and, and, and backpacking and all the things. And I'd built up a business again by that point. And I'd only had to take one 10 minute phone call the whole two weeks I was away. I'd taken one 10 minute phone call and I got back. I was like, wow, I was able to go away. And I was working with a, a business coach who had helped me get to the point where my business was more systemized. And I was just really grateful at that. And I said, hang on a minute. I've got a really cool life now. And I realised that I hadn't actually thought about suicide and I couldn't remember about back to the last time that I had and I was actually living a life that I really loved and I was doing things that I really loved. I had great relationships with my family. I had a great relationship with myself. I was taking care of my body. I was financially comfortable. And it was at that point I realised there had been a change and I couldn't pinpoint where, but I was able to backtrack and pinpoint the what's from that journey that I'd gone on to uncover what had gone wrong with everything that I thought I knew before to the point where things were working and somehow I'd slipped into unconscious competence with what I was doing what were some of those what's what were some of those
1: epiphanies what were some of those realizations you had
0: the key thing is for me I went immediately back to that day in March in 2008 when I was like this is it you know I don't need to do this this living thing anymore and I realized that there was a point in that self conversation where I realized something that's since become a cornerstone to the way I live my life a cornerstone behind everything that I teach and I share with people was I realized nobody else could be responsible for my goal being successful. Nobody else. The successful execution of my goal dark as it was had to depend wholly on one thing and that was me. And as I sat and thought about that I thought well why is that the case? And I came to what I call now common denominator theory which is this. Even if you've got an identical twin even if you're with your best friend every day of your life, there is no one and there is nothing that's present in every single experience that you're going to go through in your life. No one and nothing. Absolutely no one and nothing. And so regardless of what you want to accept in terms of personal responsibility, regardless of what your philosophical ideas or your theological ideas are or anything, the most logical place to start if you want to effect change in your life is with you. Because it, mathematically speaking, if you're present in everything, if you change everything that you're present to it has to change to some degree also. It's the quickest way to affect mass change. So if you can then start to be deliberate in the change that you want to elicit in the things around you by what you do with yourself, you're going to create massive change. And I realized that what I'd done is I'd spent years pummeling myself with books, tapes, uh, biographies, philosophical books. I taught myself to transliterate Arabic and Hebrew so I could read ancient texts in the original language and start to understand what was actually going on with that. You can't do that for that period of time and then not be a change in your mindset Change in your emotional state, and therefore a change in what you're actually then going off and executing and doing. And that became a really big part of me understanding that when we shift our environment to a very consciously chosen set of inputs to ourselves, there'll be a very, very predictable set of changes that happen within you. And then you can track that down to positive outcomes that happen in your life also.
1: Quick interruption. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to get the notes, quotes, and links in the action plan from this episode. Just go to jimharshojr.com slash action. That's Jim slash action to get your free copy of the action plan. Now back to the show. Tell
0: us about unconscious competence. There's a framework there. Can you share that with us? I first heard this from Tony Robbins. You can be unconsciously incompetent. So you don't even know that you're incompetent. Then you have to move into consciously incompetent. Oh, I know that I don't.
1: We've all had bosses that that fall into that first category, (laughs) right?
0: (laughs) Right. And then we move into conscious competence. Okay, I know what I'm doing and I'm consciously doing it. And then we can move to unconscious competence. As in, I don't even think about it, like driving a car, walking. We don't think about all the muscles and things that need to move and all the actions we need to go through. We just do it because we've got to the point where it's just who and what we are. And so- the work that I started to develop from that, which became my beyond intention paradigm, is all about moving beyond conscious incompetence and unconscious incompetence to unconscious competence. and beyond the need to keep deciding I'm going to do this competently. And you just start executing on that naturally. But there is a set of changes that need to happen inside of us in order for us to be able to operate in that basis. How do we make those changes? I would say it goes down to, first and foremost, knowing what you want to change to, You need to be intentional in the direction that you're moving into. And that means owning where you are, because you need to know what you're unconsciously incompetent about and be able to accept and forgive yourself for that. Because it's crazy to me how many people are stuck in the same place because they refuse to forgive themselves for getting there. Right. They spend so much time blaming other people for where they are that they don't actually get the freedom and power to actually move beyond it or pretending that they're somewhere that they're not. Versus, you know what? I messed up. I made that poor decision. I didn't do the research. I thought I knew everything and I didn't have the openness to accept advice, input and guidance from other people and it led me to this outcome. Okay, now that I'm here, where do I want to go next? Right, now I can start to plot that out. Okay, what emotional state do I cognitively connect to that outcome? What are my shortfalls and where do I need support so that I can get that support on board to help me get to the next step? Then we can start to execute there and actually get there.
1: You said you worked with a coach. Do you have a coach or were there people outside of you who helped you get there and have those realizations?
0: 100%. I spend multiple six figures a year on my personal development now, Jim. It's not something that I will ever shirk on. And I think that people who are ready to accept that outside eyes are always going to be better than you. I mean, one of the things I always laugh and joke about is we've never seen our own backside. We've never even actually seen our own face. We've seen a reflection or a picture of it or a video of it, but we've never seen it. I don't know what my nose looks like in reality. I know what it looks like pixelated. And so for someone who's not even seen themselves, how can we presume that we're going to see what our blind spots are? We're going to see what our shortcomings are. We're going to see where we're moving out of time with what we want to create. And so it's very, very, very important to have those outside eyes in because that's the only thing that's going to make sure you've got all your bases covered.
1: I always feel like a failure whenever I have a free clarity call with a prospective client and they say no, or they just kind of ghost me after that and don't commit to joining us in our community. And they try to go it alone. They try to figure it out. Maybe I can just read another book or listen to another podcast episode or just really buckle down and do it on my own. But it's like, you know the best in the world, world-class performers. I always use the example of Tom Brady, who's the greatest of all time at what he did. He had a nutrition coach. I'm pretty sure Tom Brady knew what to eat. He had a strength coach. Pretty sure Tom Brady knew his way around a weight room. He had a quarterbacks coach. He, he knew how to throw a football. But you have to have that person or people. I have multiple. I sound like you do as well. People outside of you who are asking you the hard questions, helping you see your blind spots, and holding you accountable to execute on the things that you know you need to execute on. Elite performance, world
0: class performance doesn't happen by yourself. No, it doesn't. And I think it's okay for people to accept that maybe the real reason why they're not reaching out and getting that support is because at the unconscious level, they're happy where they are. And I think even the energy that comes back from just accepting, do you know what? I'm actually quite settled in my victim story. Do you know what? I don't want to take responsibility for what's going on in my life because it's easier. You know, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and not all of them are really entrepreneurs, right? And it's okay to get the paycheck from somewhere. There's no shame in that. There's no shame in wanting to play smaller than others want to play. But I think there's a beauty and power and strength that comes from accepting where you sit in terms of those questions and being able to own that and then live fully into it. But if you do want to go bigger, if you do want to be massively a contribution in the world, if you do really want to maximize your potential and you do really want to you know, get the most out of life, the likelihood, the probability that you're going to do that alone is very, very, very low.
1: And so what you're talking about is sort of defining what you want, defining success. So how do you define success? Is there a universal way you define it or, or is it different for everyone?
0: Um, I mean, I keep my definition of success very simple, but it's got a layer to it. And the simple thing is this, success is getting what you want at the conscious level. But the thing with that is what you want at the conscious level may not be the best thing for you, number one. (laughs) What do you mean by that? Let's say, for example, that you're chasing a particular relationship, right? A romantic relationship. That person may not be the ideal partner for you. Maybe you're chasing them because there's an egoic drive, or maybe you're chasing them because... They look particularly good and they fancy a tickle, right? But they may not be the best partner, they may not be the best person to build a family with, they may not be the person who's going to be in your corner when the chips are down. But if you attain that relationship, you've been successful in your goal. But success is only one part of the formula. So for me, it's not just success, it's also happiness and meaning that sits on the other side of it, right? The level of fulfillment that you receive on the other side of success. And that's why it's so important to be intentional from the roots all the way up to the top of that tree as to what you want to create so that. You know the why behind what you're going for, okay? You want that relationship? What what do you want from a relationship? You don't know. So how do you know that you're not going to get to the relationship and be one of the 50% of marriages, something stupid, some high percentage that are ending up in divorce and failed marriage, right? So be very, very intentional in what you want. And then when you go for it and you are successful, you're not just going to feel empty. I mean, look at all these Hollywood stars and these famous people. They've reached the heights of their industries, the heights of their careers. Drugs, alcohol, suicide, emptiness, sex addictions, all these things, because they're trying to fill a hole that wasn't filled by the success that they achieved. If we're intentional, we'll probably find that we don't even need as much energy to achieve what we want anyway, because it's probably not as wild and fantastic as we thought that it would be. But more importantly, we can actually have a level of fulfillment and happiness once we get there.
1: This is why in my coaching program, we step back first. We don't jump right into setting goals and attacking things right away. You got to step back and say, what do we really want? Why do we really want it? What does success look like for me that is different than probably what I see on social media or the mass media tells me that I should want or you know, what's based upon uh, what's parked in my neighbor's driveway or what our parents imprinted into us when we were young that we should want as success? That is not usually, when you really dig deep, what defines success for an individual. And it's unique to everybody and you have to take that step back before you start taking those steps forward. Daniel, your book, The Money Game, you you focus on on manifesting wealth, creating a life of abundance. What are some of the most important mindset shifts or habits that people need to cultivate in, in order to achieve financial freedom and
0: financial success? One of the things I love about Money Game is it's not a big book. It's a playbook. You can get through it in an hour and a half. It's not designed to have pretty pros. It's designed to give you a step-by-step play of how to move from not being able to manifest money to being able to manifest money. But one of the things I love about that book most is that it's really about understanding that it's not just about manifesting money. It's using money as a scorekeeper for you to understand how you can manifest outcomes in your life. Because money isn't the most important thing, but it's a very powerful tool that allows us to create different goals, create more choices, create more freedom. But ultimately, it's important to understand that what you're learning is how to manifest full stop. And that's not some mythical, mystical concept. This is a real trackable, measurable thing of you saying, I want to create this thing. This thing is here. I want to create this thing. This thing is here. So when they have done the work, for example, of working with you and stepping back and seeing what it is that they want to do step back in and set those goals. I can execute them, I can get across the finish line. And the key thing is, it's not just about mindset because mindset is just one piece of the puzzle, right? So we've got the fact that everything that we experience in our life is a result of a choice that we've made. Everything that we're seeing is the effect of causation between actions, habits, and behaviors that we've had. Even if it's inaction, (laughs) non-habit and non-behavior, right, it's behavior. That's a hard thing for a lot of people to digest and come
1: to terms with because it's like, wait a second, you're saying all of this is my fault is because of me. And it's the more you can accept and own that, the more power you have over it.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the great things to do is to not look at it as fault, but look at it as responsibility. That's within my realm of influence. I have the agency available to me to step in and create X, Y, and Z. And then once we're able to do that, then we can start to move forward. But you know, mind over matter is a real thing. The action, habits, and behaviors, as much as 97% for some of us of those actions, habits, and behaviors, they're not even conscious. They're running from unconscious programs, 70% of which was developed between you know the age of two and seven when we're developing our analytical mind. So we have to get a handle on what's going on with those programs, what's going on with those belief systems, what's going on with that mindset. But then the mindset in and of itself also has a backdrop to it as well. As I found in my own case, the emotional state that we're in sets the landscape for what we're able to think. Someone doesn't believe that? Well, try and get an angry person to talk about something happy. Try and get a happy person to talk about something angry, right? Try and listen to comedy and cry. Try and watch a sad story and and laugh. It's because our emotional state sets and dictates what's going on with the chemistry in our brain. The chemistry in our brain changes, you know, what we're able to think, literally the chemistry. And so we've got this backdrop then of, Actions, habits, and behaviors impacted by mindset, impacted by emotional state. And we can start to direct that emotional state through intentionality. And so, what we do with the money game is to teach you how to set off a chain of events from an intention all the way through to an outcome where things start showing up and showing up and showing up and developing the capacity to increase the scope of what you're able to create over time so you can create bigger and better things.
1: Daniel, how has failure? played a role in your journey to success any specific instances of failure and how you move through those how you leverage those for success
0: i don't think i would be here if it wasn't for the failures i've had in my life at all you know sometimes i I muse and laugh what if my first business hadn't gone to pants and i'd gone on to be a multi-multi-multi-millionaire or whatever at the time i would have been an arrogant little twat number one Number two, I wouldn't have understood the power of connection, contribution, community and collaboration, which I get my meaning from now. I would have been an empty shell. You know, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to understand about people, about myself. I certainly wouldn't have had my Asperger's diagnosis, probably. I would have been suffering with serious, the, the general and social anxiety I was suffering was really, really bad, really deep for physiological responses I was having to that which is what led me to actually going to get the diagnosis in the first place you know every single experience that we have has the opportunity to expand us and I think when we understand that energy is just energy and actually a failure that gives us a bigger emotional charge gives us more energy that we can tap into to create something bigger and better then we'll start to see these quote-unquote failures actually as object lessons and opportunities to grow but again you need to develop the capacity to do that so trying to go and take your biggest failures in your life and and pull that energy from them is going to be a bit harder than looking at some of those little missteps that you've made starting to look at the object lessons there and build the momentum of being able to learn retrospectively and to pull that energy retrospectively and then when those things start to show up in the future it's like oh the mind tracks and says well the last time that Bobby was looking at failure. He saw that there was a lesson. Okay, now what filter am I going to look at this situation with now? Maybe there's a potential lesson because the mind, as you know, it's not sitting there with an opinion. Oh, I'm going to make Jim sad today. It's just going on the basis of what it's got as data points. So when you start to overload it with data points, that the, the pain and the stress is actually something you can grow from. You can expand from those things. When you move forward, it's going to run on that program instead of beating yourself up and putting yourself down.
1: For the listener... I've done hundreds of interviews with world-class performers. That is one of the best descriptions of how to benefit from failure that I've heard. And to restate what Daniel is saying here, go back, look at the failures in your life in the past and what has come from that, what benefits you've gotten from those failures, why you are better off, not worse off, but better off from those failures. Become mindful and aware that the pain and suffering that you've experienced and the failures you've experienced have turned into positive things in your life now, whether that's financial or relational or health or otherwise, as you experience these moving forward, now you can go, ah, yeah, this is one of those things where it sucks right now, but maybe, just maybe, this is actually the greatest opportunity of my life. Or maybe there's just something really positive that's going to come from this and I'm actually going to end up in a, in a better place because of this, not despite this. So, man, Daniel, that is so powerful. You talk about a late diagnosis of Asperger's. Can you tell us about that? First, for the listener who doesn't know what Asperger's is, can you can you talk about that? But also how this diagnosis came about and how
0: that impacted you? Sure. So Asperger's is, is a form of autism. So the the most basic, crude definition I've I've been able to give people to kind of understand. You've seen Rain Man or you've seen a film or something where there's a, a deeply autistic person. Someone can have the same level of autism and be Asp- and be Asperger's, but the key difference is someone with Asperger's can communicate with the outside world but someone with deep autism cannot. So it's on the autistic spectrum, but there's a couple of things that are plugged in that allow communication with the outside world. So the brain still functions the same in terms of its most of the wiring, but there's a couple of things plugged in that mean that you can actually connect with the outside world. And so my score was actually ridiculously high. I didn't realize how high it was until I did a few quotients on it. But what happened was is I I suffered from really bad insomnia since I was a teenager. And so I could go for days and sometimes a week more with no sleep, with no reason why my nervous system would just not shut down and I'd just be wide awake. And I I had lots of different techniques for dealing with it and over-the-counter things like chamomile tea and slowing down and breathing and whatever. But sometimes it just was, you know, it was just too much and, and nothing would work. And I was going through one of those particular periods of time And what ended up happening was, I went to see the doctor because none of the over the counter sleeping tablets were working, none of my remedies were working. And it'd been more than a week since I'd had a proper night's sleep. And so I went to see the doctor, and the doctor prescribed me something called Zopicline, which is an extremely powerful sleep medication. So much so that he's only legally allowed to prescribe me a certain amount because it's also very addictive. And you can only take two. And he gave me three. So most he can prescribe. And he said, one will knock you out. And if it doesn't, make you if you're just a bit drowsy just have another half but you'll be asleep and that should reset your system and you'll be able to sleep I took two and was still wide awake Jim so I go back to the doctor and he said well this isn't physiological there's is probably something you know you need to talk to someone I'm gonna have to refer you to a, a therapist because there's something going on that's, that's stopping you from sleeping so he refers me to a cognitive behavioral therapist Dr. Helen McEwen, who I'm so grateful for we're getting her the first couple of sessions i'm able to get a little bit of sleep and i didn't realize at the time she, she told me later she recognized immediately certain traits in my behavior that meant i was on the spectrum because she specialized in working with adults with autism that was her specialist area and so she picked up these clues and then through investigation she dug a little bit deeper. And it was about a month before she actually had me do a test and I, I, I came up with my score. But by then she'd already been using cognitive behavioral therapy techniques to settle my nervous system because what she understood was the reason why I wasn't sleeping, I was having this insomnia, is my nervous system was fired up because it was trying to consolidate a neurodivergent mind in a neurotypical world and trying to do it without any help. And so it was creating this, this dissonance that led to, to insomnia. So she helped me work through that. And I was able to then understand what my superpowers were and to dive more deeply into those and also understand where my shortfalls are so I can be supported with those. Uh, And that began my journey with, you know, really taking what may be seen as some as a disadvantage of being on the autistic spectrum and making it one of my greatest strengths.
1: How do you do that? How do you take something that most people would look at? Again, kind of going back to the conversation we just wrapped up around failure and looking back at your failures. How do you you take something that, to most people might be a setback or like, oh, okay, now I have an excuse to lower my goals, settle for less. How do you take that and turn it into not just a, I'm going to move forward with this and that's okay, but actually a positive. How do you do that?
0: Because I looked at what the superpowers were and I looked at what those strengths were and I looked at how I could deploy those to actually improve my life and get more out of life. You know, the good thing is, is by then, as I said, I I was reading books like Think and Grow Rich and all these psycho-cybernetics and all these positive psychology books from quite young. So I had the seeds for it by then. Also, I was knee-deep into my journey of research that I spoke about earlier. And so my mind was already very heavily primed to look at things through the filter of how can I move forward and what's a positive thing that I can pull from this. But going back to what we spoke about before about being supported, having Dr. Helen there to guide me through the process who wasn't just, oh, this is your diagnosis, you're off, who actually sat down, this is what's positive. And someone who really encouraged me and helped me to understand this new landscape and to plot my way through this new map of, of uncertainty really was key to me being able to move forward in a positive way. So it was the fact that I already had a fertile ground, but more importantly, having a guide to take me through that process was definitely, uh, definitely key.
1: So for the listener, I just want to reiterate two things here. Number one, Daniel's mind was primed. He had been feeding it the right stuff. He'd been putting the right content in. And you really got to question yourself whether or not you're putting the right content in. And that means the books you're reading, the podcasts you're listening to, the people who you interact with. So his mind, it was a fertile ground. And then the second part was he had a guide. He had somebody outside of himself. And, And I asked you, the listener, like, are you doing that? Like are are you really intentionally doing this? Are you really putting an intention behind putting the right content into your brain and your mind? And then also, do you have a guide? Do you have somebody outside of you who can help you through this process? Daniel, for the listener who's bought in, who loves what you're saying here and wants to take action on this, What advice can you give them? What's an action item or a couple of action items even that they could take in the next, let's say, 24 to 48 hours to really take what you're teaching us here and put it into action and change their lives?
0: I would say, first and foremost, before you take any action, do that step back that you spoke about earlier, Jim, and that's get really clear on what it is you want to create and why. And one of the things I invite people to do isn't even to look at that as a list of things that you want to to achieve, but to get clear on how you want to feel every day in your life. Because once you understand how you want to feel, and that doesn't need to be a laundry list of you know, a, a half page description, it just needs to be anywhere from three to five emotions that you feel really deeply passionate about feeding on a, a regular basis. And this can change. I interrogate this list for myself every single day. Every single day, I reconnect in the morning with, do I still want to feel those emotions? Is there something else that shifted based on what I've learned or based on how I've grown over the last 24 hours or whatever?
1: You do this every day. This is an intentional activity that you do. How does that look? What does it look like? Are you looking at a piece of paper or are you just sitting on the edge of your bed, closing your eyes? I mean, tell us about that.
0: As soon as I open my eyes, I say a prayer of gratitude is one of the first things that I do. And then I get really clear on how I want to feel that day. I feel into my body. And this isn't like an hour long process. It's like 60 seconds, two minutes max. Get really present in my body. Maybe take a few deep breaths in order to do that. And What are some some feelings I want to feel today? And is it still the same guiding light as the day before, right? And so for me, right now, for example, it's peace, freedom, joy, and love. Peace, freedom, joy, and love. And I feel that in my body. What does peace feel like? Is there a part of my body that lights up? What does freedom feel like? What does joy feel like? What does love feel like? How does that feel in my body? And is that still how I want to go into the day? And then that becomes a filter for everything that I do. The conversations I'm going to have, the people that want to come into my life, the opportunities I'm going to take on, the books I'm going to read, the com- everything is then guided to, is it supporting me feeling those four emotions more or less? Are there things that come in? Are there people that show up today that want to make me feel less love, that want to make me feel less peace, less freedom or less joy? Then I ruthlessly curate my life every day. And while well, that person not going to have much access to my energy, that activity is not something I'm going to do. That's not something I'm going to engage in. And then at the end of the day, I track and I say, well, have I successfully stepped more deeply into those emotions for the day or have I fallen back and I trip back? Oh, hang on a minute. Oh, I missed that. There was that event that happened. Oh, there was that happened. And then I'm journaling in the evening. I make note of that. And then that sets me up for the next day to go and make new goals about what I'm going to do. But find those emotions anywhere from three to five. And then every morning, just ask yourself, do I still want to feel these emotions? And as you go through the day, ask yourself. Are the things that I'm doing, the places that I'm going, the people that I'm engaging with supporting that, or are they inhibiting it?
1: For the listener, that is simple, but very actionable. Take action on this. Daniel, for the listeners who want to find you, follow you, buy your books, etc., how do they do that?
0: Easiest way, Jim, dreamwithdan.com, dreamwithdan.com. Excellent. Dan,
1: thank you so much for making time to come on the show. And well, Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for listening. If you want to apply these principles into your life, let's talk. You can see the limited spaces that are open on my calendar at com slash apply, where you can sign up for a free one-time coaching call directly